You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Remembrance Day. Thousands of British Columbians turned out in person today to pay tribute to those who served and continue to serve our country. For the first time since the pandemic began, the public was invited to attend the province's largest Remembrance Day ceremony in Vancouver, where the changing of the vigil guard honored a decorated Indigenous war veteran. Catherine Urquhart begins our coverage. They gathered to remember at Victory Square in downtown Vancouver. Several thousand people attended the solemn ceremony, the first full service in three years due to the pandemic. Among those who took part, hundreds of veterans, including 99-year-old Percival Smith, the Merchant Navy veteran from World War II, placed the White Rose. I think what Remembrance is all about is about remembering those who didn't come back, you know. A special tribute was made to Canada's most decorated Indigenous war veteran, Sergeant Tommy Prince, who was recently featured on a stamp. He was awarded 11 medals for his service in the Second World War and Korean War. Sergeant Prince is remembered for his resilience and his strength and his fight for equality for Indigenous rights. The Victory Square ceremony first started in 1924. The cost of freedom is not free, you know. Uh, we, need to, we need to stay focused, not to forget the contributions that those young men and women made. The event included laying of wreaths, changing of the guard, the last post... and fly past. there was the province's official Remembrance Day ceremony. At the Cenotaph, a gathering of veterans and numerous dignitaries, many of whom laid wreaths. Among the messages, the far-reaching impacts of war. Inflation, food security. We are told that these are in part at least the cause by war. This was also Victoria's first full service since the pandemic prompted scaled-back ceremonies. That lack of restrictions allowing for more participation as Canadians honour those who have selflessly fought for our freedoms. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And a strong turnout in the Okanagan today as well with the return to in-person Remembrance Day services. Kelowna ceremonies began with a parade and ended at City Park, where a big crowd was waiting to honour war heroes. One veteran saying he believed this year's turnout to be the most ever. Myself, I've really struggled with the isolation and, and just being able to um, yeah, just connect with people. I think, you know, it's, it's a little cliche, but that's what the world needs right now is, is solidarity and togetherness. It's been a while since we've been able to put something this official on. And the weather is obviously not ideal, but uh, to see the turnout the way it was, it's just amazing. People in Penticton took in two Remembrance Day services, one at the Trade and Convention Centre, the other at Veterans Memorial Park. The number of children in attendance particularly heartening for veterans. 
And in Ottawa today, the first full National Remembrance Day ceremony in two years. The ceremony included a 21-gun salute, the laying of wreaths, and again a flyby of CF-18 Hornets and vintage military aircraft. This year's ceremony marks the 80th anniversary of the ill-fated Dieppe raid in August of 1942. More than 900 Canadians were killed, 2,400 were wounded, and nearly 2,000 taken prisoner. Just say thank you to a veteran when you meet them. You see somebody in uniform, say thank you. We have the peace and freedom because of those people. Dignitaries included Governor General Mary Simon and National Silver Cross mother Candy Greff, whose son Byron was the last of 158 soldiers to be killed in Afghanistan. The Prime Minister is traveling to Asia and did not attend. And a special ceremony to honor the Canadian veterans who fought in what has long been seen as Canada's forgotten war. The Korean War com uh, Commemorative Alliance holding a wreath-laying ceremony at the Ambassador of Peace Korean War Memorial in Burnaby. More than 26,000 Canadians served during the Korean War between June of 1950 and July of 1953, and more than 500 died. This year is the continuation of the 70th anniversary of the Korean War Commemorative Years from June 2020 to July 2023. The Korean people have never forgotten, as you can tell by the turnout here today, they have never forgotten the sacrifice made by the Canadians. And particularly the Canadians were all volunteers, which was kind of unusual for them to understand. And we didn't even know where Korea was. And as we honor and remember those who served and continue to serve in the Canadian forces, a heartbreaking reality is many veterans are homeless. Returning to civilian life is very difficult for some of them, and advocates say more needs to be done to help prevent veterans from ending up on the streets. Imad Agahi reports. On the day Canadians gather to mark Remembrance Day, honoring the country's current and past soldiers, Two organizations that support these men and women are highlighting the struggles facing veterans once their service has ended. Canadians would expect that someone leaves the military, they go into a Veterans Affairs Canada stream of care, and the support and resourcing is there and provided to them. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. It's not happening to that effect. According to data from a 2020 Metro Vancouver homeless count, 103 unhoused respondents had served in the Canadian Armed Forces. The majority of the men and women that we have worked with who have been homeless um, definitely have you know, mental health issues related to their service, um, including addictions. Information from Veterans Affairs also shows compared to the general public, homeless veterans tend to be older and more likely men. Find themselves uh, isolated, um, isolated from their families. Uh, there's often uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's uh, uh, bipolar disorder. I came back after four and a half years. I had all this grandeur about, oh, the world is going to be a nice place to live in. We were walking the streets looking for jobs, putting on our medals, hoping to impress somebody. A recent report by the Veterans Ombudsman found on average disability benefit decisions for Canadian Armed Forces applicants took 43 weeks, more than twice the service standard. 
uh, veterans are waiting um, to receive their benefits. And, you know, while they're waiting to receive those benefits, they're getting further and further behind. Um, you know, they're, they're struggling and ending up on the streets. And while veterans organizations admit the solutions are complex, they point to reducing these wait times as a critical first step. The goal has to be that we don't have a single homeless veteran. Imadagahi, Global News. Also today, a very special ceremony to pay tribute to a B.C. man who's believed to be Canada's oldest living war veteran. Aaron MacArthur introduces us to the incredible Reuben Sinclair. The sound of a lone bugle bringing back a flood of memories for Reuben Sinclair. Born a century before most of the kids at the Talmud Torah Elementary School, he takes great pride in participating in the annual Remembrance Day ceremony. He told me, he said, I'm so proud. He says, I'm amazing. He said, I'm world famous. Sinclair is believed to be Canada's oldest living veteran. Born before the First World War, he volunteered for the service at the age of 31. During the Second World War, he fitted aircraft with radar and trained pilots to use blacked-out runways. His memory may have faded, but nearly 80 years after his service, his time in the military is remembered with extraordinary detail. So I, I, taught, him, I taught him how to land and take off in the dark. Wow. That was a good job. The school has included Mr. Sinclair as a guest now twice at the Remembrance Day Assembly. His presence has become a touchstone for a generation who are still taught the significance of what veterans sacrificed. I think about how lucky I am to be here with him and it makes me just happy. Seeing him being here is like amazing and you really realize how lucky we are. Mr. Sinclair has three children, 16 grandchildren, six great-grandchildren, and two great-great-grandchildren. He attributes his long life in part to never worry. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Long weekend traffic slows to a crawl from ferry cancellations last night to backups at the border today. How getting around is slowing you down next on the News Hour. There were gunshot wounds and refugees that were there from different places. Just ahead, a local doctor who specializes in facial reconstruction takes his skills to the war zone, helping victims of the <laughs> Russian invasion. Also tonight, a Canadian flight crew finds drugs on board, but reporting it to Dominican authorities turned out to be a terrible experience. That's later on the news hour. Right now, though, it is a frustrating start to the long weekend for many travelers. Ferry terminals are busier than usual after two days of service disruptions. And people driving across the border have been stuck in lengthy waits as well. Sarah McDonald has more on the long weekend backups. Friday at Horseshoe Bay Ferry Terminal looked the way you might expect it to on a long weekend. How long? Three hours. It was, it was definitely busy, busier than normal. Foot and vehicle passengers said it was largely business as usual, besides some residual congestion, a travel hangover from Thursday's ferry fiasco. When we showed up, we saw the cancellations, and but we need to be on the island for tomorrow, so we decided to stick it out. I've been waiting two ferries, and that's, that's my own fault. 
Travelers to and from Vancouver Island found themselves going nowhere without a reservation, with the Queen of Surrey sidelined for mechanical issues and another vessel left sitting in dock due to a lack of staff to operate it. And now we've been sitting here since 2 o'clock, so it's been a long, long day. Long day, waste of a day off. BC Ferries says by early Friday morning, the mechanical issue with the Queen of Surrey's main engine had been resolved and sailings resumed as scheduled, though still many are already filling up fast with reservations well into Saturday. Those traveling south by land crossing the border didn't have it much better, with wait times of up to two hours at major crossings. But it's been 90 minutes. But it's been, yeah, we got here at 11, 11.15 about. Yeah, and it's, so it's been over an hour. It's not real fun. <laughs> when on our way in, it was really cool because there was no line at all. But that was three days ago. With all signs pointing to a long weekend that's just getting started, with travel headaches in some capacity likely to last until Monday. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Well, there could soon be a new way to travel between Vancouver Island and the mainland. A new venture called the Vancouver Island Ferry Company says it will launch a direct passenger ferry service between Vancouver and Nanaimo starting in the summer of 2023. The company says sailings between Coal Harbor and the Nanaimo Port Authority Terminal would take about 70 minutes. That's about half an hour faster than the BC Ferry sailing between Horseshoe Bay and Departure Bay. Some travelers seem to be on board. I think there would definitely be lots of people that would pay for it, for sure. Like, you could probably make a lot of you get a lot of business out of that for sure. It depends on the situation, yeah. if where I need to go and why I need to go. There will be multiple sailings per day, and we will be able to um, scale up, uh, really ramp up in the summer seasons, in the peak seasons, to you know potentially 10 sailings per day, and then we'll adjust based on customer demand. The company plans to use two high-speed catamarans, each with capacity for 350 passengers. Prices will be announced next spring, but the CEO says one ticket will cost less than driving onto a BC ferry. Just ahead, watch out for whales. How the recent death of a young humpback raises concerns about marine traffic. And who is this unwanted house guest? I will give you three oh, guesses. No. <laughs> oh, no. Researchers believe they have solved the mystery of what killed a young humpback whale that washed up near Haida Gwaii last weekend, and they've determined it was likely hit by a boat. The young whale showed signs of blunt trauma, and now there are concerns a growing number of whales could suffer the same fate. Paul Johnson shows us why. Watching humpback whales put on a show in B.C. waters. It's a reminder of how fortunate we are that a number of whale species have rebounded after nearly being wiped out by whaling. But experts say there's a new problem that Canada needs to face. The perfect storm here is that many people aren't even aware that these large whales, that we have a second chance with them coming back from the brink of extinction. Case in point, these sad images of the body of a fin whale that died after being hit by a Vancouver-bound cruise ship. This has happened at least three times in recent years. The problem, whales like humpbacks and gigantic fin whales are slow-moving filter feeders who lack the kind of spatial awareness and agility seen in other whales like orcas. So the risk of collision with ships and boats is big. Baleen whales are so different than toothed whales in how they perceive their environments. 
they don't have to have the biosonar to be able to pick out the size of one fish versus another, for example. That, combined with their unpredictable habits and the tendency for some boaters to get up close, puts them at high risk. The body of a young humpback that recently washed up on Haida Gwaii had signs of blunt force trauma as did a young fin whale that washed up dead on the Sunshine Coast in March. As the world's second largest animals, the return of fin whales in meaningful numbers has been a great achievement, though their conservation status is under review by the federal government. Experts like Jackie Hildering hope Ottawa chooses a path of protection and education. We want so much that the public concern about these deaths leads to action. Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, some residents in Obey were surprised when they noticed just who broke into their home on Thursday morning. Oak Bay police were called to a home on Beach Drive at 4 a.m. yesterday where they found an owl perched on the couch. After some coaxing, the winged intruder casually walked outside through some open patio doors and flew away. No officers or animals were injured. <laughs> no more dad jokes, I promise. <laughs> I was bracing myself. <laughs> Are you sure? I won't, I promise. Okay. All right, just ahead, Canadians unfairly detained in the Dominican Republic. Mr. Prime Minister, we need your help to get us home. Why Dominican authorities have held this flight crew for months. Also ahead, the BC surgeons saving victims of the war in Ukraine. Police in Port Moody are asking for information from the public about a shooting incident early this morning. Officers were called to the 600 block of Klahani Drive at about 4 a.m. after reports of multiple shots. Residents also described hearing a vehicle speeding away. Police found a number of shell casings, but no apparent victims or damage. They're asking for witnesses or anyone with dash cam or surveillance cam footage to come forward. Now, the bizarre story of a Canadian flight crew detained in the Dominican Republic for the past seven months. There's new hope they may be allowed to come home soon. Their ordeal began in April when they reported finding drugs in a maintenance compartment on their aircraft. And they've been fighting to clear their names ever since. Global's Sean O'Shea has more. Now, you have to tamper it with... with uh... You know, with, with you know, the knowledge that we've been here or very close to here before. Pivot Airlines CEO Eric Edmondson with new reason for hope. A day after the prosecutor and attorney general in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic, agreed to drop allegations his crew was involved in exporting drugs and would now be free to leave. The crew have paid the ultimate price. that they, They've lost their freedom. Not only did they lose their freedom, but they were being hunted by narco criminals. First imprisoned, then placed under house arrest last April, the pivot crew were detained after reporting they found drugs in a maintenance compartment on their airplane, about to leave for Toronto. Local Dominican authorities released this video of the drugs last spring, right after the crew reported they found the narcotics. We reported it immediately to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and the Dominican Republic authorities. The Dominicans threw us in jail. The message to other airlines... Don't look for narcotics. If you find something, shut your mouth. We're going to throw you in jail. You may never see your family again. And that is, is just absolutely unsafe for the aviation community. The airline crew had pleaded with the Canadian government to help them get out. Mr. Prime Minister, we need your help to get us home. We did our job by reporting these drugs and saved Canadians' lives. Now we need you to do yours. But Pivot CEO says Canada was slow to act. 
Eric Edmondson related a story about how being Canadian was a disadvantage. Someone from the Canadian Embassy actually said to them, too bad one of you weren't American, because if you were, this wouldn't have happened, and if it did, you would have been out in a day. That just shows the difference between the way Canada approaches these challenges and the way the United States does, or many other countries would. On this Remembrance Day, it's important to acknowledge there are still many ongoing conflicts around the world. Canadian forces are training soldiers to fight in Ukraine after the Russian invasion, and that's not the only help coming from Canada. A doctor from New West who specializes in facial reconstruction has jumped into action too. Dr. Kimmet Rye volunteers around the world repairing children's cleft palates, but this time he's using his skills to help the war wounded. Julia Foy has the story. Here you can see this child with a bilateral lip and he was just done and that was in Cambodia. New Westminster plastic and reconstructive surgeon Dr. Kimmet Rye was planning another Operation Rainbow Canada mission this fall to help children with cleft palate and facial deformities finally show off their smile. Overall, I think as of now, 25 years over, maybe over 3,000 uh, patients have been treated, so they are from different countries. But a new world sparked by the war in Ukraine changed that. Rai was asked by the Canada-Ukraine Foundation to travel to Poland to help soldiers and civilians who had been injured in the conflict. And major reconstructions were done. There were gunshot wounds and refugees that were there from different places. Rai joined a specialized team of doctors, nurses and medical support members who help rebuild patients' faces, limbs and lives. It's a, it's a medical system that has been specifically targeted by Russia. There have been over 100 hospitals that have been specifically targeted and destroyed. The medical system is overwhelmed. The Canada-Ukraine Surgical Aid Program has a long legacy in the now war-torn country. Both doctors first came to Kyiv in 2014 to help patients like Roman, a 16-year-old boy who lost an eye when he was handed a package that contained a bomb. Seven volunteer missions to Ukraine followed. One. But when the Russian invasion began, it was deemed too dangerous to bring in the Canadian volunteer team. Work then began to find a hospital in Poland close to the border where patients could be treated and returned home. When these patients arrived in Poland, they became friends, they became family, and their stories really touched myself <laughs> and our whole team in a very very profound way, and that's why we continue to do the work. It's gratifying not just for the patients, gratifying for us as surgeons, nurses, and as just looking after these patients. This is probably the most rewarding work you can do in your career. Dr. Rye is now working on a plan to create a children's surgery center in Ukraine, which could be supported by Operation Rainbow Canada. So we can treat not only cleft lip and palate patients, but children with hand contractures, hand deformities, etc. A dream to focus on while the nightmare of the invasion continues. Julia Foy, Global News. Coming up, a surprising find on the ocean floor. Look at these rivets. What divers discovered, even though they weren't looking for it. Also coming up, an unexpected gift comes just in the nick of time for the Surrey Christmas Bureau.
The Surrey Christmas Bureau has found a home for its toy depot this year. The organization helps thousands of families every holiday season and put out a plea for a Christmas miracle last month. It was in desperate need of warehouse space to use for two to three months. Not easy to find in a tight rental market, but then the city of Surrey and Fraser Health stepped in to help. The Toy Depot will share space with Fraser Health in the former Safeway at 103 Avenue and King George Boulevard. The warehouse will include a full-size pop-up toy shop and office space for client services, as well as space for the Adopt-A-Family program. The new space will open to take donations as of November 17th. Community members in Kelowna are surrounding and surrounding area are stepping up to help those who are unhoused and struggling in the current cold snap. The gospel mission has been overwhelmed with donations of winter items like coats, toques, mittens and sleeping bags. It's estimated that around 150 people in Kelowna alone are sleeping outside. So far, a winter shelter has not opened up because no suitable site has been secured. Staffing shortages are also posing a challenge this year, making it difficult to hire at shelter facilities. But there may be a glimmer of hope because a few potential sites are in play. We have identified some sites. You know, we have faith community partners that have stepped up with sites. We have a city facility as well as other sites that are being explored. Um, but as we've talked about before, just the operator capacity is um, beyond what our community can handle. And we're looking at, you know, options for warming spaces. But until we have those, it, we really rely on our community outreach teams to do enhanced wellness checks and, and bring more warming supplies out to community partners. Kelowna's new mayor, Tom Dias, has a meeting scheduled for next week with community partners to discuss the urgency of the situation. Some good news for skiers and boarders. The first North Shore Mountain is opening this weekend. Cypress says its snowmaking and grooming crews have been hard at work and it will be firing up some of its lifts at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Daily tickets will be limited, though, and can be purchased online only. We did purchase, you know, 15 new snow guns this year, which has played a, a big part in allowing us to open. They're, you know, the tower guns that oscillate uh, back and forth, and um, they're, they're obviously helping us uh, get up and running. So uh, happy to, it's an early start. We've got about 10 days earlier than last year at least. The mountain will have two of its quad lifts open and hopes to open more, obviously, as more snow falls. When will that happen? Well, only one person around here at this time knows. That's Christy Gordon, and she's got the weather forecast for us. Hey, Christy. Hi. Well, it's going to be a long time, actually, before they see some natural snow. They're going to have to do some snowmaking over the next little while. This uh, Arctic air is in place, and we've got a huge upper-level ridge that's going to hold strong, it looks like, for a good seven days. Quickly show you the satellite image right now. We had a few showers uh, earlier today during the uh, Remembrance Day ceremonies. It wasn't too bad, but boy, was it chilly. and A little damp with those showers, uh, most of them shifting off and through the uh, Vancouver Island region, but that is going to move out overnight. We've got a sunny day on the way for our Saturday. So terrific conditions, but staying below seasonal for sure, especially for those of you in the interior. And a week front will move across tomorrow night, but 
A little bit of cloud cover Saturday night, and then it shifts out in time for our Sunday. And then look at this upper-level ridge that I was mentioning. It is going to hold strong through much of next week. Now, for those of you in the interior, I want you to note that there is what we call an inside slider. That could bring in snow to your region on Wednesday, but it's not going to affect the south coast. At this point, it's not looking like that. Uh, a few showers for the north coast region. Across the south, though, highs of only minus 3 in Kelowna. Typically, they'd be up to 4 degrees this time of year. Lots of sunshine to enjoy, that's for sure, and that will be the case for our region. So typically for our area, we'd be up to nine, so seven isn't too bad, and certainly in that sunshine, it will feel warmer tomorrow. We are expecting sun again on Sunday, but with that front moving across Saturday night, there's a slight chance of a shower earlier in the day on Sunday, but overall, we're trending towards sunshine. We've got a great five-day forecast, as you can well see here. Tonight's central windows weather window uh, is coming to you from I don't know where, and it doesn't really matter just a beautiful shot of some poppies thank you to kelly bourget for sharing that with us all right back to you guys perfect photo for today no doubt thanks christy all right now to that remarkable discovery off florida's east coast debris from the space shuttle challenger found on the ocean floor nearly 37 years after it exploded Mitu garcha has more on the crew who spotted it just by chance and what happens next yeah they're, they're wearing away these History Channel explorers combing the Atlantic for World War II artifacts instead stumbling upon remnants of one of the world's worst space disasters. Look at these rivets. Months after the May discovery, NASA confirmed Thursday it's a six-meter-long piece of debris and one of the largest pieces found intact of the space shuttle Challenger, the first to be found since parts of the left wing washed ashore in 1996. I mean, I was stunned. Um just could not believe that, you know, that there was a piece of Challenger still on the seabed. Wayne Abbott, among two Canadians on the team, filming a new series on the Bermuda Triangle and looking for a World War II-era rescue plane. At one point, it almost looks like a tiled floor. But what those tiles are are the actual heat shields on the bottom of the space shuttle. And liftoff. The Challenger exploded seconds after liftoff in January 1986, etched in the collective memory of many. The tragedy unfolded live in homes and classrooms across the U.S. and Canada, killing all seven crew members, including a teacher who was set to become the first civilian in space. The most important thing is that it keeps the story of Challenger alive. Mark, good luck. Thank you. It was aboard Challenger only two years prior where Mark Garneau became the first Canadian in space. There are certain signposts in history. You know, there's, you know, Pearl Harbor, the JFK assassination, 9-11. You remember what you were doing and where you were if you were around at that time. Same thing with the Challenger in 86. The debris remains on the ocean floor about 50 kilometers off the coast of Cape Canaveral, and NASA will determine the next steps. I really hope they do raise it and put it at the Kennedy Space Center. I mean, what a perfect place to display this piece of Challenger. A piece he hopes will uplift the legacies of those who died in a disaster that changed NASA forever. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Never forget that day. Yeah, All right. Uh, just say my uncle. Yeah, my he was connected. Uncle, my late Uncle Sam, who was a missile trajectory expert. There's a job. He was one of the few that was brought in by NASA. He was brought out of retirement to find the various pieces of the wow. space shuttle after that accident happened. Amazing. So you, you have a backstory. Well, your family does. My family has a backstory. Mine's very boring. Theirs is very interesting. <laughs> All right.
this is Hockey Hall of Fame weekend in Toronto, and three of the greatest Canucks ever are going to go into the Hockey Hall of Fame together. Daniel and Henrik Sedin and Roberto Luongo, who says going in with the Twins makes this extra special. I think the thing for me is just the people that they are and the great teammates, and um, not only at the rink, but away from the rink. So, um, you know, great, great human beings. Henrik wasn't feeling well, so he won't get into Toronto tomorrow. Daniel is there. The official induction ceremony takes place Monday night. Also tonight, satellite debris, even a Sasquatch would love. happening right now around us when bc needs to connect bc turns to the source that brings us together global news connect very nostalgic mm -hmm. yeah blast from the past tonight squire yes yes it is very much a blast from the past all weekend until monday night so uh, the picture i'm going to put behind me in a few seconds is henrik daniel and roberto luongo during their glory years there they are right there and on Monday night, those three former Canucks will be officially put in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, Hall of Fame weekend actually started today in Toronto. Daniel and Roberto were there. Henrik wasn't. He's recovering from a bout with COVID, but he should be well enough to get to Toronto tomorrow uh, to watch the Canucks play the Leafs. Uh, today, Luongo and Daniel were honored with others before the Leafs-Penguins game. And before that happened, they talked about when they got the phone call saying that they are actually in the Hall of Fame. I was actually at work, um, so uh, I actually thought somebody had told me that the calls usually come in around noon, so by 1.30 I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't on my third scotch, so I didn't think I was going in, but uh, <laughs> finally when he did call uh, 2 o'clock, obviously I was uh, a little bit surprised, but um, humbled and uh, obviously really happy, and the uh, first person I called when I got off the phone was my wife, and I let her know the good news, and uh, they were ecstatic, as, as well as my whole family. Yeah, I was back in Sweden. Uh, I was actually in the bathroom when they called. Uh, <laughs> okay, too much information. I know the feeling. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, obviously a big honor. You hear your name being mentioned the weeks before, but you still, you never expect that call to happen. And uh, they told me not to, to call Henrik, so I stayed away for 10 minutes, and then he called me back, so it was, uh, it was special. Bruce Boudreau put the Canucks through a tough practice this morning in preparation for that game tomorrow against Toronto. And obviously, there'll be another tough game Sunday against Boston. Uh, two games where the Canucks will definitely be the underdogs. The practice today featured one-on-one -on -one drills where the players actually got to hit each other. It's all designed to drill in the old adage into the player's head that you have to fight through everything and don't ever stop working, ever. If you put the work in, you usually get something out of it. Very rarely in life, if you outwork the opposition or outwork your uh, people that you're working with, that you don't get results. And uh, so that's what the message basically is. So, and we'd like it to happen sooner than later. Now, Nathan Rourke hasn't played a lot against Winnipeg this season. He had the full game back on July 9th. BC lost that game 43-22. He also played the first quarter of the game October 28th in Winnipeg when he came back from his foot injury. Now, during those 
five quarters. He has thrown three touchdown passes, but also two interceptions and has lost a fumble. So his biggest focus for Sunday's Western final against the Bombers, which is in Winnipeg, is to protect the ball at all times. I'd like not to turn the ball over. I think that's the big thing. Um, I think that offense is very is, is too explosive to give them multiple opportunities, multiple possessions, right? Extra possessions. So um, we've got to do a good job as an offense of keeping their offense off the field and, and really put some drives together and then put points up. I think that's going to be the key. And I think with the crowd and everything, you're going to have to do that early um, to make sure we're. I felt like the last time, a couple of times that we've played there at their place, we've gotten a hole early, and so we can't do that. All right, today, Canada against Bahrain. This is an exhibition game leading up to the World Cup, but most of these players you see in the Canadian uniforms will not make the final roster, although this young man will. Ismail Kone, this kid is going to be the next star for Canada when a European team picks him up. Scored there to make it 1-0. Canada's defense a little suspect here. This cannot happen against teams like Belgium or Croatia. Uh, Madi El-Humaiden will score there to make it 1-1. Kone has a great chance for a second goal. Now, Canada will announce their final World Cup roster on Sunday. I think Kone will be on it for sure. A lot of these players, as I said, you saw today, their MLS players won't be on that final roster. Alistair Johnson, he should make the main team. That's a penalty kick. So, Abdullah Yusuf Halal will give Bahrain a 2-1 lead. Now, despite this not being the main Canadian roster, Canada was not expected to lose. We would tie it, and it would be Lucas Cavallini. It's not really his goal. It's off him, but then off a defender. But he was the last Canadian to touch it. I know it's own goal, but we'll give it to him. We'll give it to him. He should be on the main team when they announce it on Sunday. And our women's team is taking on Brazil. As they get ready for next year's World Cup, Canada has won four straight going into this one. This is Ashley Lawrence, the perfect cross to Shalina Zadorsky, who will head this one in to give Canada a 1-0 lead in the 22nd minute. That's a nice-looking goal, but the one I'm going to show you, the second Canadian goal by Adriana Leon, is actually much better. It's a flick on from Christine Sinclair, and watch the shot. Don't let it hit the ground. One more look. That is unstoppable. 2-1 Canada over Brazil. Uh, Canada got knocked out of the Billie Jean Cup of Tennis, losing to the Swiss today, but our men's team, basketball team that is, has qualified for the World Cup. Great. All right. Thanks, Squire. Stick around. Satellite Debris is up next. We are at a critical turning point in cancer care and research, but together our potential is beyond belief. The BC Cancer Foundation has launched the most ambitious health campaign in BC's history. Give today at GoBeyondBeliefBC.ca. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, Burnaby RCMP are stepping up their patrols around Maywood Community School after a disturbing incident yesterday. Police say a man appeared to walk back and forth before exposing himself to children outside the Metro Town School. He got away and RCMP are now issuing a warning as well as looking for information so they can make an arrest. We'll have a description of the suspect tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? Mm. Until then, let's bring Squire back in for a look at satellite debris to end the week. Squire? I, I just want to put a disclaimer. I, I said the, the Canadians lost at the Billie Jean King Cup. Mm -hmm. Duh. That's named after the legendary tennis star. I said Billie Jean Cup. It's not named after the Michael Jackson. Right. Just so you know. <laughs> Good. Good. Okay. Thanks for the clarification. All right. I just wanted to point that out. Okay. So uh, these first two are from a company called Legal Shield. Here we go.
Turning that down. You know, I pulled you over. You got animals riding in the back unbuckled, buddy. Consider this a warning. Drive safe. Some laws are stupid. Having legal help with traffic violations is not. You got it from the store. I got it from the source. I sucked it from a cow. I admit it was pretty gross. If it's spoiled, yo, I pour it down the sink. Breaks my heart because it's my favorite drink. My favorite drink is milk because that's what I like to drink. You guys mind not doing a rap battle? Don't tell us how to live our lives. Yeah. It's 3 a.m. And who rhymes milk with drink? Oh. Some laws are stupid. Having legal help with noisy neighbors is not. Oh, I didn't know it's illegal to harass Sasquatches in the state of Washington. I should remember that the next will, time I go down. I will never do that. Okay, so this one is a, uh, one of the Christmas commercials from the UK from Boots. Everything's the same. Glasses on, glasses off. Because she went shopping. Oh, at I see. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And also the it. appreciation <laughs> of Hall and Oates too. Yeah. That was nice. Okay. So um, actually, one more for Legal Shield coming up, and one for Postmates, featuring uh, Julius Caesar, who of course uh, brought us a great salad. Sent me a scroll that said, "As per my last scroll." He asked me to conquer on the weekend. The call of the man. Hey. What's up, guys? Postmates order for Julius? Yep. Just wanted to get you something to say thank you for all the hard work you've been doing. Oh, and don't worry, Brutus. I didn't forget about your gluten allergy. Is that Detroit style? It certainly is. I love Detroit style. Dig in. A2, Brute. Everything changes when you hit the spot. Postmates. You said it was going to be sunny for our wedding, Tim. Well, turns out I can't control the weather, Sheila. Some laws are stupid. Having legal help with wedding contracts is not. So if you're some super Bond villain in Colorado, you need a permit to be able to control the weather. Just can't get enough of those legal <laughs> shield commercials. There you go. Be careful with the Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, Christy. Long weekend for many people. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to see some sunshine. 
Yes, thankfully we do have some sunshine. It is going to remain chilly, but highs of 7 degrees. And if with that sun, it'll feel a little warmer. And we've got a pretty sensational five-day forecast with uh, pretty sunny weather on the way for the next several days. Sure looks like it. Cold overnight, though. Flannel sheets are on the bed already. Mm -hmm. Wasn't my decision. <laughs> I'm going with it. Well, uh, learning a lot about <laughs> you right now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, uh, really appreciate you watching. We'll leave you tonight with some of the sights and sounds of this Remembrance Day from Victory Square. Good night, all.